We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com. Use the promo code BIGBLUE. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. And if I just shouted into your ears, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry because I'm too excited right now to not shout about the New York football Giants. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by co-host Nick Filato. This is the Big Blue Banter podcast. If you're new to it, we're here to recap the Giants playoff victory over the Minnesota Vikings. That's right. Playoff win, their first playoff win since 2011. Legitimately, their first playoff win since 2011. I cannot believe that we are here. This is the first time in the Big Blue Bander podcast history that the Giants have won a playoff game, let alone been in a playoff game. And just to think about where they came, where they came from to where they are now, regardless of what happens next week against the Eagles, and there's going to be a lot that we're going to get to about to talk about that game in the coming days, maybe even a little bit tonight, but Regardless of what happens to me, it's all gravy at this point. Things are obviously trending in the right direction. We know that now for sure. There was a lot to take away from this specific game and what the Giants, you know, did to now move on to the divisional round. But regardless of what happens now, the Giants have made it to the final eight of all teams going into next weekend. And that's not something I thought could ever really be possible with this season. When I predicted them to win nine games, I thought that might be worth a wild card game. But I really did feel like it might look similar to what the wildcard game was for the Washington Commanders two years ago when they went to Tampa against Tom Brady the year Tom Brady won his Super Bowl with the Bucs. It was not that. This was not the case. The Giants led for most of this game. They had more yards than the Vikings again. On offense, I mean, my God, dude. The offense today is the best the Giants of offense have looked, I don't know, since at minimum, at minimum 2015, at minimum. And so where do you want to start, Nick? This is just truly incredible stuff right now. Let's just start with that offense. First, I feel like we need to, Dan, bask in just how amazing this is, right? Because going into this season, yeah, we had, what, eight wins, nine wins, but we did not imagine that the turnaround would be this drastic, right? We didn't think that Brian Dable would be able to do this. And it's such a testament to this coaching staff. And honestly, so much credit deserves to go to Daniel Jones, who is playing very well in this system as well. I mean, this offense against the Minnesota Vikings, again, not the best defense, but still, this is a playoff team that won 13 games in the National Football League, okay? I get that they had negative point differential, but still, they knew how to win football games. This was a one-score game, Dan. They didn't win it. They didn't win it. And the Giants had a 20 
play drive. They had a 12 play drive. They had a nine play drive. They were sustaining drives and they were moving the football and they were creating explosive plays. They were doing everything from the offensive standpoint. Saquon Barkley had less than 10 carries in this game. The defense didn't have one sack and they were still able to win this football game, man. It's just really, really good to be a giant fan at the moment. It's really good. And we said going into this week, look, we didn't put out that video saying why we thought the Giants could make noise just to pander to the audience. We actually felt that way, Nick and I. If we had felt differently, like I mentioned earlier, like, oh, maybe this team would be like that Washington team that's one and done in the playoffs. We would have just came out and said something. We probably wouldn't have been that negative about it, but we wouldn't have been as excited. There's a reason why we're excited and we feel like this team could make noise, and they already have made noise now with this victory. It's because of the one thing that has been true in the last few weeks. This Giants offense is playing its best football this season. Now, when it matters the most, and it's not like just you hand pick a, a few things here and there and say, you know what? Well, the matchup was good here. The matchup was good there. No, there's been a legitimate change in what they're doing offensively. You just gave a little hint to it. If you had said earlier this season when the Giants had beaten the Titans and beaten the Bears and, you know, they were whatever, six and two, whatever it was to start the season. If you had said, yeah, this team's looking great. I think we're going to make the playoffs and I think we're going to win a playoff game. You probably would have then followed that by saying, in said playoff game, Saquon Barkley is going to have 28 carries for 185 yards, and they're going to just ground and pound through Barkley, have a couple rollouts, a couple runs with Jones, and that's how they'll win the game. But to win a game like this, where Saquon Barkley doesn't even get double-digit carries in a game, that's the part that was so unexpected. They continued to stay with their pass-first approach, which was great, by the way. I mean, on all 17 first downs where they decided to pass the ball instead of run the ball, it resulted in a first down. That's an insane stat. That's a stat you take moving forward. That's a stat that tells you this offense is changing, has changed, and needs to stay with that change. They went away from it a little bit at some point in the second half when they started to run on first down. I was happy they corrected themselves once the Vikings scored again. This was not a game to get cute. This was a game where until the Vikings can stop you by going with the pass-first approach, which they never did at any point, the Vikings did not stop the Giants' approach at any point, there was no reason to go away for it for the sake of balance. And I'm so happy they didn't because that's the reason they won this game. This was a close game. It could have lost it, but they needed to stick with that pass first approach. And I want to talk a little bit more about that, Nick, because like you mentioned earlier, the expectation was, okay, Giants will win a playoff game this year if Saquon Barkley can carry them. Daniel Jones carried them in this playoff win. I think this was the type of game, man, where you just look at it as a whole and you watch it go through. And I know, again, look, the matchup is great. Like the Vikings pass defense isn't great. But it didn't feel like it was just because of the matchup that Daniel Jones played this well. From the very first snap, he didn't have the jitters. Remember in past seasons, I was thinking like that Bucks game from a couple years ago on Monday Night Football. Might have been two or three years ago. Where right away from the start, you could just tell he was a little overwhelmed. The ball was coming out high and hot out of his hand. It was going over the heads of receivers. Today, that wasn't the case, man. From the very first snap, and this is also a testament to the coaching and how well they prepared them and how loose these guys are. We talked about that earlier this week in the preview. All we heard from the Vikings this week was, oh, my God, we're tight. We got to have – we have Dalvin Tomlinson set to keep the guys tight, loose on the defensive line. We got Patrick Peterson. That's his role. Keep them loose in the secondary. They didn't need to do that with the Giants. This team knows where they're at and feels very confident and comfortable with who they are as a team, in my opinion. And that showed with Daniel Jones, this wasn't like that Tampa game. It wasn't coming out. Hot. From the start, it was on point. I really don't think there was much he did. Like, it was almost like a perfect game from the quarterback position. Like, you could look at the one throw on the, like, long crossover the middle that was kind of almost intercepted. It was, like, batted yeah. down. It was, like, literally the only throw I could even think of or only play I could think of 
where I was like, damn it, Dan, or not even damn it. I didn't even say that, but it was just like, okay, maybe that one wasn't great. Right. Cause on a lot of these broken plays where the protection broke down, he still ran for it. And it's like, he turned that into a positive as well. Even the play after the, the Hodgins catch on the sideline that they weren't sure if they were going to review. So they wanted to get it off quick and they threw a deep ball to, and he threw a deep ball to Slayton. That was pretty solid ball placement too. Like that legitimately could have been caught by a receive a different kind of receiver. Like everyone talks about, well, what happens when you give him wide receiver one? A wide receiver one probably makes that catch in that spot. So it was literally as close to a perfect game as you can get from Daniel Jones. My favorite throw for him was obviously that Hodgins throw on the sideline. It was so good for so many reasons. I just put it on the timeline. I mean, one, it's off platform. Two, it's rolling to his left, which is hard. Three, he doesn't reset by burping the baby. He just kind of has the arm talent to rip that ball, throws it into an insanely tight window on the sideline. Hodgins toe taps it and makes the catch. This is the type of game, man, to me, where it can literally in a lot of ways, revamp my thoughts on what Daniel Jones can be ceiling wise moving forward. I really do feel that way because what did we say before the year? We want it no matter what gets the playoffs because we want to see what Daniel Jones can do in the playoffs. Some quarterbacks have risen their level of play in the playoffs. Eli Manning was one of them. And at least right now, Daniel Jones is profiling to be one of them as well. Lay the framework too for how the game materialized in the beginning. You're down seven, nothing. The Minnesota Vikings just led a 12 play 75 yard drive right down your defense's throat, man like a knife right through warm butter. That's what it was like. And then what happens on the first play of the game, Saquon Barkley has this beautiful run negated because of a Nick Gates holding that was a legitimate holding. So now you're in a first and 20 situation if you're Daniel Jones backed up. What does he do? He finds Richie James for a slant. Great play call too, because what the sort of Vikings do so much when they were in some sort of man or match type of defense, because I believe on that play, Saquon Barkley flared out towards the sideline. The linebacker took him, and then there was that huge void for Richie James just to run, 13-yard gain. And then from there, Daniel Jones just really just calmed everything down and led this freaking offense, which is constructed by two masterminds in Dable and Kafka. Two, two, two serious masterminds. I mean, we're watching some of the best called offensive football I've ever seen in Giants history. And that sounds hyperbolic, but it's it's as good as what Peyton did with Kerry Collins in the 2000. It really does feel that way. He did it in a different way. There was like heavier personnel. But even so, like Kafka and Dable are doing this with so many mixes and matches of personnel. We even saw Lawrence Cager get in the mix today, play a little bit. He's gone from an offense that was 13 personnel and 12 personnel heavy. They were using six offensive linemen to 11 personnel heavy. No matter what they've done, they've been able to generate offense and generate plays. And I want to talk about one thing that like came to my mind right after this game. It's a little off topic. We'll, we'll, we'll be just jumping around on this. There's so much to talk about. There's still a lot more to unpack with Daniel Jones in the offense. So it's, this is not it for that. But on that final last like uh, series of plays, let's call it first great play call on a third down, a third and got to have it situation by Mike Kafka and great play design by Dable and Kafka to get Darius Slayton open. Daniel Jones delivers the ball literally right in, on uh, in the bread basket in his gut in stride. Um, it, we don't have the all 22 angle, so I haven't seen it, but it looked like it was a catch that Slayton was, would be able to then turn up and get the game winning first down on. But it happens. He drops the football, right? He had a great game besides that. He drops the ball. This has always been Slayton's club, uh, you know, whatever. Then the next possession, Vikings trying to drive the ball down the score, roughing the passer to extend a drive. Old Giants, dude, you knew the game was over. You knew the game was over when he dropped it. You knew the game was even more over when he got the roughing the passer. And it just feels like it's a new era of Giants football. We've had so many losses where things just didn't break their way. And this was a weirdly officiated game, in my opinion, overall. I don't know if the Giants totally got screwed. They've got a couple breaks here and there. The roughing the passer was a disaster call. All all things accounted for, just a really horrible call. They didn't call the 
the probable false start by Andrew Thomas on the Isaiah Hodgins touchdown. So look, there are things that go both ways and I really hope something happens with this roughing the passer call in general in the NFL. This is going to suck to watch football moving forward. If you're just having games legitimately, potentially this game was almost ruined by this call straight up, yeah. almost ruined by, by a ridiculous call. So, and then someone said in the comments, like maybe you got a little bit of the head or something. So it's technically correct. Stop. No technicalities, figure this, this shit out. We can't have games decided on plays like that, but so much has feels like it's changed now with this team. It's the opposite now. And it started with the Titans game when Dable made that call. And he made another great call again in this game on that fourth down decision from his own 40. I love the decision to play to win. Do not play to not lose. When you play to not lose, bad things happen. doesn't mean go crazy at all times like Brandon Staley or whatever. But like there are big spots and they come up every once in a while. And that's kind of how Dable's approached this all year, Nick. He hasn't yeah. like pushed the, like, you know, he's punted in some of these spots. But when he feels that momentum and he feels the big spot where he can make a make a big time, you know, all, game altering decision, he has. And he's gone for the win. And I love that call as well. I love it too, man. He's got DeBald, bro. He's got DeBald. And I absolutely love it because it's very refreshing. The last coaching staff did not possess that quality or that trait. They were uber conservative in those types of situations. So this is the playoffs, man. And I felt like Greg Olson and Kevin Burkhart did a great job reflecting back on week one and being like, dude, the foundation for this team was set in week one when he went for two. And we discussed it at the time. We were like, wow, this is like a new feel for the Giants. We're like, oh yeah, right. we get this win. This is cool. Upset over the Titans. Ah. Wonder how many games will win this season, you know? And then they go on, they make the playoffs, and they pull off this upset against the Vikings, which is just remarkable. It's awesome. And we're just talking about the resilience, but you were talking about the drive where Cousins threw the ball to TJ Hawkinson well before, right? Like how the yeah. Giants defense stiffened up. Because the Giants defense sucked for the majority of this game. The offense was carrying it, but they really stiffened up, man. And that third and eight play with Cordell Flott, I oh, still yes. think TJ Osborne should have caught that football. But Cordell Flott, that's one of the rookies who was drafted by this regime, making a big play or just putting his hand in a position yep. to alter KJ Osborne's ability to catch the football. And that led to the fourth and eight. And bro, that fourth and eight, I have no idea, bro. If that was my quarterback and my play caller, I don't know the play because I don't have the all 22. So let's just go with the quarterback. But if he checked it down to TJ Hawkins <laughs> in the man coverage against Xavier McKinney, like six yards before the sticks, I'd be freaking out, bro. It would be a devastating way to lose a football game. I wonder, we'll see on the tape, but I wonder if that was a situation where the Giants kind of fooled him into guessing that that was going to be like, because we had earlier in the game where it was a, not a similar play, but it was a similar idea where there was a tight end kind of inside chipping and protection, and then he kind of leaked out, and they got an easy big play out of that, the Vikings, I think, on another third down. So maybe they thought they'd catch him off guard again. But it may not even be that. Maybe just what you said when we watched the tape, like, Dude, he just threw, he just checked down against man coverage and and that was just it. I mean, that play, you could tell that I'm looking around for flags at all times after big plays. I'm just like, oh, is there a flag? Is there a flag? It's my whole life watching football. But like you knew when he caught that ball, if there was no flag, that was game over. And that was, like you said, it was good to see the defense obviously step up and make big plays when it counted. Like you said, this wasn't a great game for the defense. Obviously, Aziz Ojolari left the game with another injury. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But overall, Really, the only great player in this game was Dexter Lawrence, who I think had another eight pressures, which puts him at just an absurd number. Let me get this next-gen stat. I put this I out there. Thibodeau had five pressures as well. Thibodeau had game. five pressures. So Dexter Lawrence had a team-high eight pressures in their first playoff wins in 2000, including five aligned as a zero technique, which is incredible. He's generated nine, 29 pressures aligned as a zero this season. That's 21 more than any other player in the NFL. <laughs> which is All absolutely absurd stat. Eight of those came this week. So he just insane stuff right there from Dexter. Lawrence. Yeah, go ahead. Think about it, Dan. What defensive lineman does what Dexter Lawrence does? 
there, I don't think there's question. one. I don't think there's one in the league, right? Because everyone's like, oh, well, Chris Jones, like, they align that guy at like five technique, three technique, four I, two. Right. He can do nose, but like Dexter Lawrence is specifically a one shade or a zero. We know he can play four I shade. He did in Patrick Graham and he was successful and he was good, especially as a run defender. But this guy, they just put him right in the middle on the center and say, best of luck. And nobody can ever really account for him. There's not a lot of defensive players who do that. A lot of them align all over the place. I would hate to be a center going up against the New York Giants, man. Like Jason Kelsey is one of the best ones. So kudos to the freaking Philadelphia Eagles for that. But he'll even struggle a little bit against a beast like Dexter Lawrence. Yeah, we'll have to see. That's not the best matchup for the Giants, unfortunately. But we'll have to see what happens there. Because, yeah, he's a great player and he did a good job. But yeah, like you said, man, and I want to give where there's going to be a lot more to talk about on the offensive side of the ball. So we'll we'll focus in for a few other things on defense right now. I will say this. I mean, there were some decent runs by the Vikings, but overall, I didn't feel like the Giants were ever at any threat to give up any big, huge plays in the run game. Um, and we want to I want to talk a little bit. Yeah, go ahead. And think about Justin Jefferson, right? If you well, that's wouldn't. The key you- to, yes, that's the key to all this. Wouldn't you sign up for that, right? Because, dude, right. it looked like it was going to be a disaster. He had like five catches early on in the game, and I think he finished with seven catches for like 49 yards. With a long was, of 10. With a long of 10. No catch over 10 yards was the key. And the Giants, I'm imagining, again, we'll have to confirm on the All-22, did the similar thing, man. They probably ran a crap load of cover six, and they were just bracketing and just keeping multiple sets of eyes on Justin Jefferson, which left TJ Hawkinson for the one-on-one. And one of those long third-down plays, I think it might have been the play you were referencing before, was a screen where both Xavier McKinney and the cornerback like bit down, and TJ Hawkinson was wide open on the sideline, took a huge shot from Julian Love, but... Man, I would sign up for that any day of the week, especially after the way it started. I thought it was going to be a long day for Justin Jefferson. And also that 20-play drive just kept the Vikings offense off the field. Even though they only converted three points, which does suck. That is, that's not great when you possess the ball for over 10 minutes, only come away with three points. But it does such wonders for your defense and wears their defense down, which is really, really right. cool. And it burns game clock, and it keeps the, you know, that's the other key there too. And I think it was probably you, you sign up for this, right? You sign up for the old school Bill Belichick, um, Bill Parcells approach of just take away the team's best player on offense, especially when it's so pronounced like this, where it's like Jefferson is so far like no, nothing against Dalvin Cook, but Dalvin Cook doesn't run well in this system. He it's just not the same way he runs in the Kubiak system. It hasn't been the same all year. He didn't, you know, he didn't get that many opportunities. So it's hard to say he didn't look as explosive as I have seen him in the past or anything like that. But this is a Jefferson. This is a don't let Jefferson beat you kind of offense and kind of team, really, to be honest, since their defense sucks. And that's exactly what the main focus was. So at very least, they were able to at least do that, the Giants. And that that goes a certain way. And I think part of that is just having a Dory Jackson back on the field. And it knows any crazy plays and coverage. Like you mentioned the flop play. That was an unsung hero play. The Kenny Galladay block for the Barkley uh, yeah. play, unsung hero play. The Kayvon Thibodeau on that second in a row screen, the back-to-back screen call, where there's literally just gobbles of space ahead and Thibodeau has to process it fast enough, come off the pass rush and then go back to make the tackle. These are like your unsung hero plays. Darnay Holmes on the first and 10 on the second to oh, last yes. drive of the Vikings. That was huge. Great diagnosis there. Great keen diagnosis. And then you have a Dory Jackson who had another one of those plays where they throw short in the flat and that's been killing the Giants a lot. Those screens or those quick throws right on the bubble on the outside of the receiver and comes in, wraps up, makes the tackle, kind of like gives you a little hint that like he's there. He's what he was like. We're not losing much there. And we didn't see him too much in coverage. I get it. So we'll have to wait and see next week. It's going to be a much bigger challenge against those two receivers the Eagles have. But at the same time, just having him back on the field made me feel so much more confident in the defense. 
Same here. Same here. And we'll have to wait. We will. Once we get the all 22, we'll be going over it extensively. Like I am so hyped for these all 22 reviews, Dan. Just to see gonna exactly be awesome. what's going to happen. And dude, Link Martindale, it's, it especially didn't seem like it didn't. What's that? Oh, the especially offense? the offensive review. The oh, defensive yeah. film review is not going to be the greatest thing in the world. Let's be honest. But the offense is going to be a lot of fun. A hundred percent. But I am interested to see exactly what Wink Martindale was doing on the back end in the secondary. It didn't seem like he brought as much pressure as he has in in previous games, but you still saw a shit ton of quarter. A lot of those seven defensive backs. We saw some mistakes from Gerard Davis, the one touchdown to KJ Osborne, which is a great schemed play by Kevin O'Connell just to run mesh there to just have a bunch of bodies and and just to open up a passing window. And KJ Osborne did a good job just kind of sitting. It's similar to what the Giants did so much. I mean, how many of those plays, man, that were that were schemed up so well by the Giants offense was very smart awareness spatially from Isaiah Hodgins, dude. The guy just yeah. knows where to be and when to be there. And him and Daniel Jones are on the same exact page. It's kind of crazy to think they weren't in training camp together. I know. Yet they have this amazing rapport. Two two plays that they made together today. I mean, the one, obviously the one that I talked about earlier, my favorite throw of Daniel Jones' career, that sideline ball, also an insane catch by Hodgins. I mean, they rushed the play to get it off because they didn't know. But if they had waited, it was a catch. There was no way to overturn that. He got both his feet in right on the side. And then the other play earlier in the game where Jones was like flush from the pocket rolling. And it looked like from the broadcast angle, like, all right, Jones is going to run this. And that's fine. We've seen it happen a million times. And it'll be like a six yard gain. Instead, he rips it. He finds the window. Like you said, Hodgins sits, settles into a nice spot. He finds Hodgins and Hodgins has like another 25 yards after the catch in a play. I actually thought he might be able to house, but we found out after the game, which is pretty insane, by the way, Nick, there was a picture Isaiah Hodgins put on his Instagram of his ankle. And did you see it by any chance? I have not. No. All purple and blue, like completely mm-hmm. purple and blue. And, and it looked really swollen, really bad. And remember, he got injured in practice this week and he had that ankle injury and he played through it. And he said, like, guys, don't worry, like, uh, don't don't make fun of me for not being that fast out there. Like, look, look at what I was kind of running through. And we'll see what that means for next week. Obviously, he played the whole game and things like that. Maybe he felt like he wasn't running at 100 percent. But the fact that he's able to do all that, I mean, we're talking about a player who had over 100 yards for the first time in his career eight receptions obviously nothing ever gets dropped that's thrown to him this has been his thing for a long time now Hodgins since he came here I can't even remember a drop that he's had he's probably had one he's had two plays where they're not constituted as drops but Daniel Jones threw him a pass where Daniel Jones probably put him into a situation where he could take a really big hit and I think it was twice against the Vikings actually where the linebacker stayed put and Jordan Hicks flowed out there and just hit Isaiah Hodgins on two third down plays but for the most part everything that's thrown around him is caught and you know, first 100-yard game of his career, his fifth touchdown in the last six games at this point. We're talking about a player who is legitimately an absolute weapon for this offense right now. He's not just a guy they claimed on waivers. And so there's a lot to talk about on the offensive side of the ball. Where would you want to go to next? Or do you have anything else on Hodgins? I think we could just talk about Daniel Jones, man. Yes. Because Daniel Jones is somebody that we have discussed ad nauseum over the last several okay. years. Our first game covering the New York Giants together, the inaugural True. Big Blue Banter podcast with Nick Filato on it, was Daniel Jones's first start. So we're always going to be linked to that man. And it did not look positive in training camp whatsoever. And this man has really turned turned around his entire image because of this coaching staff, because of the work that he puts in, and because of the knowledge that he has of this system, which is not a slight on Daniel Jones whatsoever. He knows how to operate this system very well. And I feel like the coaching staff is just putting him consistently 
into a into a position to have success, even with your legs. How many plays, Dan? I think on that 20 play drive, he had like 39 of his 78 rushing yards. How many of these plays where he doesn't love what he sees, use your legs. If they're not right. going to account for you, make them pay. And it seems like so many defenses have not accounted for Daniel Jones. Like how many of these defenses are going to keep allowing this dude to just carve them up with his legs? It's it's a real weapon. It's a real weapon that previous coaching staffs did not use. Maybe it's because he was injured a lot throughout his career. I'm knocking on wood. Hopefully that does not happen going forward this season. But 17 carries for 78 yards is insane for Daniel Jones when you consider that Saquon Barkley only had nine carries, even though he had 53 yards and two touchdowns. So can't be a happier for the kid because he's getting it done with his arm too. He went north of 300 yards, Dan. Went north yep. 300 yards with two passing touchdowns. Yeah, three. I mean, he's accounted for almost 400 yards of total offense by himself here, just under. I think it was 379 total. Mm-hmm. And they might have taken back a yard on one of those toes. That might have been 378. But something I found really interesting too with regards to what just the game planning of it all. I was curious to see how they would use him from a running standpoint in the playoffs. I kind of had an idea in my head. I didn't say it out loud last week, but I had an idea in my head that just based on what I saw with Brian Dable in um, in Buffalo with Josh Allen, that they would ramp it up in the playoffs. And that's exactly what he did. He had a season high 17 carries. Like that was the most he's had this season. Like we saw there were designed quarterback power. There was designed quarterback runs. He scrambled a little bit more on some plays where maybe he wouldn't have or he would have thrown it a little earlier to a check down. Like, they are saying, I know what they're doing here. They're like, this is the playoffs. It's it. It's one and done. We can worry about injury. Like, we're going balls to the wall here as far as utilizing his skill set to the fullest. And if you are utilizing Jones' skill set to the fullest, he's running a lot because that's such – I've said it a, a million times, but I'll say it again one more time. EPA on plays where the quarterback drops back to pass and decides to run the ball – is literally almost three times higher than the overall EPA across the league of plays where a quarterback drops back to pass the ball and actually passes the ball. So every single time he decides to do it, it's essentially a cheat code for the Giants offense and for him, Daniel Jones as well. So just something I love to see the extra runs in this game. The extra runs in this game are huge. And as you said, man, there were a lot of design quarterback powers and they had a rushing touchdown too, Daniel Jones that was negated by the illegal shifts. Just seemed like Maybe Daniel Bellinger got a little bit uh, ahead of himself and moved maybe a little bit early, which is going to happen. But Bellinger, too, he had that touchdown. It wasn't a huge part of the, the the passing attack. But what did that touchdown remind you of? It reminded me of week four and week five right. of the New York Giants. A lot of just play action. Daniel Bellinger's just going to chip, and then he's just going to go out into the space. And nobody really accounted for Good him. ball fake by Jones as well. Great ball fake by Daniel Jones. And it didn't ball. work, by the way, but I love the Statue of uh, Liberty play. Yeah, no, man. They had the Statue of Liberty. That was a much better deceptive play, Dan, than the Vikings play where they decided oh to throw God. it back. What a disaster what? that play call was. I would have been so angry if I was a Vikings fan and I saw that. they were. We were not stopping them. At, the Giants were not stopping them at all at that point. Literally, all you had to do was a conventional play there, and they would have converted that first down. That was about the only way they didn't convert. Like, Good job, by the way, by I think it was a Dory and Darnay Holmes on that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. with the recognition, no matter what, but man, that was a big mistake, but I love to see, I was just gonna, talking about like what you said, the touchdown to Bellinger was a good ball fake by Jones. The, the Statue of Liberty one was a pretty good ball, like fake slash handling by Jones as well. That's not easy to execute, to have it go from the right hand to the left and like be able to just like seamlessly get it in there. I felt like if it was a little more of a um, longer, next time they go to that play, like a little bit longer on the fake. So Barkley's in motion. That's where the eyes are going. You got Brita. You're hoping like no one's accounting for him. A little more on the fake with the throw. It was, it was fast. It was kind of like bang, bang, and almost kind of just red. They, they, they could kind of run it. It's just a run up the middle, like the linebackers there. But regardless, it was cool to see. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. We're bringing the excitement of Win Las Vegas to online sports betting and casino play. Exclusive rewards are right at your fingertips with Win Rewards on WinBet. Get in on all your favorite teams, players, and sports from the NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. From boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds on every major sports, WinBet has what you need to win. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100, win $100. Download Bet Win. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Be on the lookout for the WinBet Win Hour each Thursday from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. During WinBet Win Hour, marquee games of the week will have better odds on WinBet, giving you a larger payout opportunity. Offer subject to change. Terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where play through WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call 1-800-522-4700. I was running low on some groceries, so naturally, I went to a store that sells said groceries to look for my refreshments. There I was in the beverage aisle, and I saw these tall boys of what I originally thought was beer, but it was actually in the bottled water section, and it was mountain spring water from the Alps, and it was called Liquid Death. And I thought to myself, do I want to try this beverage that is named Liquid Death because I hear it brutally murders your thirst, and their recyclable tall boy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles, and they also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. Those are some pretty cool causes. So I bought myself some liquid death, and I enjoyed it. I was parched, and then I drank it, so I was not. So if you want to try some of this liquid death, go get liquid death at your local Whole Foods Market, Target, and Stop and Shop stores, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. That's liquiddeath.com slash bigblue. 
It was. And speaking of just running the football and cool things on offense, we saw more trap tags and things like that. Like the 116 yard run by Saquon Barkley, where he spun off Harrison Smith and then spun again. And it was really, really fun before one of the uh, Giants touchdowns. That was just a well executed trap by Mark Lewinsky. Harrison Phillips was the three technique in the overfront. And Harrison Phillips didn't even know it was coming. Like he was looking around each direction and then he just got trapped. Next thing you know, Nick Gates. Andrew Thomas, both up at the second level. So now it's just Saquon Barkley, mano we mano against Harrison Smith in the alley. And just little tags like that, right. that we've seen this entire season that we broke down and discussed this entire year on the Big Blue Banter podcast, they continue to crop up. And it's really allowing this rushing attack to have so much success with one of the best and most explosive running backs and one of the most dangerous rushing quarterbacks in the league with Daniel Jones because they incorporate him in a creative manner as well as we've discussed. And a few more things I want to talk about on that front, but I do want to, I don't want to bury it just yet on Daniel Jones. Cause I will say this in addition to all of the plays we've gone over and some of the big time throws he's made in the big time runs he's made. I just felt like in general, he was completely in command of this offense the entire time from front, from, from start to finish without any breaks, without any breaths, without any moments where it looked like he was going off. And that's, the, uh, you know, PFF and true media do a, do a decent job. I think of tracking it, but the on target throw percentage had to be really high in this game. We'll see. We'll see when we get those stats, but I mean, I can't think of besides that one ball we talked about with Slayton. That was like on the horizontal one that was kind of behind him, almost pick whatever. Besides that ball, I can't think of anything that was off target really the entire game. No, neither can I. And I yeah. also think this coaching staff with with Daniel Jones, it, it seemed like Ed Donatel was playing a lot of quarters, something that he likes to run a lot, quarters, palms, things yeah. like that. And I know some of those deep crossing routes early on to Darius Slayton that went for like, I think one went for like 47 yards, another one yep. went for like 20 something yards. I believe those were against quarter. I know one of them definitely was. And it was kind of like a Yankee concept with Isaiah Hodgins just running directly the post directly at Harrison Smith. And then from the backside, they just brought Darius Slayton right in front of him. And if you watch it on a, on game pass right now, not even the all 22, but they show like kind of the all 22 angle just because it's one of their highlight plays. Right. You see Harrison Smith, not realize that Darius Slate was coming from the backside and nobody accounted for him. Cause you had all those routes underneath sucking up the linebackers. And then Harrison Smith got turned around. So just calling a Yankee concept against a coverage, like cover four quarters, things like that. That is a, that is a specific play that puts that safety into conflict. So just to see it kind of materialize and know that this coaching staff was going to say, these guys are going to come out in quarter. Let's run this deep passing concept. And then it actually hits and it's actually successful and it creates an explosive play. That's music to my ears, baby. That's, that's exactly what my eyes love to see. We talk a lot about how this Giants offense this season hasn't really created a lot of explosive plays. And as I said at the top of the show, they had, I think, three in the first two drives. And I don't even know how many they finished with, but it was several. And a lot of them came off Daniel Jones's arm. I think it was they they tied their they either tied or just passed their season high for explosive plays that was previously set against the Vikings. And I love what you just talked about there with the Yankee concept and some of the more intermediate vertical route concepts we saw in this game, for example. Something we saw a lot like earlier this season against the Packers in that London game was those deep crossers really killing the defense on those deep crossers. Hasn't really surfaced as much since. And now we saw it in this game. You just mentioned that play, the big one to Slayton. There was another big one to Slayton where Jones, I thought, did a great job throwing with anticipation. As you watch kind of that angle, we'll see it again. He ripped the ball. He just was so in tune with what that concept was all about and where the receiver was going to get to on that deep crosser. He ripped the ball and threw it to a spot and Slayton caught that one. I think it was a, a le- little bit less of a game. It might've been the first play of the game, that first big gain of the game um, to Darius Slayton. So 
I just felt like they were so in command with what they wanted to do offensively in the passing game. And that's kudos to the coaching and Daniel Jones. Like it's his first playoff game ever. It's not a great defense. I understand that, but it is still a hostile environment. And the Vikings got up to a seven, nothing lead. The crowd was in it for most of the game, really probably all of the game. I would say, even though obviously Kayvon Thibodeau said after the game, he really heard the Giants fans on that last drive, which was pretty cool to hear. I'm sure they did travel well to that game. And kudos to any of you who are out there and went to that game. That was awesome. But I mean, hostile environment to not have the nerves take over at any point with Daniel Jones, to keep your on target percentage as high as it was, to make those throws, to understand those concepts, even some, like you said, like the Yankee concept, just different deep crossers and things that we haven't really seen them do all that much of. I know in recent weeks we have seen more of it, but not all that much of it. And still to be so locked in with what they wanted to do, it just shows the preparation that he put into this game. And I said it from the start. Like I, one of the main reasons I wanted the Giants to make the playoffs, I wanted to see if Daniel Jones could rise his level of play to a different area or a different kind of tier, some similar to what Eli Manning did really all throughout his career, including that final playoff game. And I definitely feel like he did. This was the best game of Daniel Jones's career. He got it going in the intermediate area of the field. He got it going with his legs. And like I said, he was just in full command and on target the entire time. A near perfect game, if not a perfect game. Just crazy to even consider where we're at right now with him and this entire offense. Absolutely. Near perfect game. And you can see, man, after the game, Jalen Smith is coming up to him, just giving him a hug. That's my quarterback. That's my quarterback. You know, like everybody's galvanized around Daniel Jones right now. And just to have that moment again as giant fans is awesome, dude, because we haven't felt this in so long. Daniel Jones, this is an underdog story. Giants thrive on underdog stories. I know he was a top 10 pick, but it was a much maligned top 10 pick. And now his career has been revitalized by this coaching staff and himself taking to the coaching. And here we are. The Giants have this game against the number one seed now. Philadelphia Eagles, which we will be covering all week. But right now it's time to revel in the success of the Giants who just defeated the Vikings 31 to 24. Yeah, for sure. And I want to give a shout out to a listener of the podcast, George Schmidt. I thought he had, I haven't thought of a good comp this entire year for Isaiah Hodgins, a player who me and you are both very, very high on. And we, we really feel like he could be a big piece moving forward for this team, not just some like random find that's a decent wide receiver three. And his comp for Hodgins, I thought was pretty interesting and almost immediately clicked in my head. So it's a former Giants player. Do you want to try to guess or should I just tell you? I would like to try to guess. Okay. Former Giants player. Here's what he said, which I thought just take into mind a lot of what you got of what of what you've already said with regards to what Hodgins did in this game. So he said, big guy with quick feet who catches everything in his radius. Seems like, okay. Then he said, the little stick routes at the perfect spot in the zone, diving for the first downs, which he did in this game. Remember, he caught that underneath pass over the first down. Who do you think that reminds you a little bit of? Toe tap on the sideline, the full extension on the big Jones throw. Ronnie Toomer. Yeah. yeah. He has a lot yeah. of Toomer in his game. Like all that stuff is vintage Toomer, like understanding where to be with your feet, understanding zones, under like the play where he dove for the first down. That wasn't even just understanding, that's just spatial awareness right there. And he, and to toe tap on the sideline, the big Daniel Jones. Throw. These are like, all those types of little things that those like savvy, great receivers do. And I'm not comparing him to Monty Toomer, one of the greatest receivers in Giants history. But at the same time, I do see a little bit of Toomer's game in Hodgins. Veteran player too, right? Yeah. Isaiah Hodgins, what? 24 years old. This is right. a kid. And he just knows where to be at all times. He knows this system so well. Like we've said it on the podcast, man. Like he's not a practice squad guy. I get it. We got him off a practice squad. But I think the Giants found a diamond in the rough with Isaiah Hodgins. I think he's going to be here next year. And I think he would make a very good number two receiver on a playoff team. 
Yeah, he would. And he is a very good number receiver on this playoff team right now. But even better than that, he's literally their number one receiver right now. Yeah. Slayton's making big plays, too. Um, someone would consider him. Richie James catches the underneath stuff, and it's a big part of the system. But Hodgins is the go-to guy, like you said. He's the guy who has the best rapport already with Jones, which is crazy. It even it honestly feels like it's even better than the rapport he has with Darius Slayton at this point, just given some of the big plays he's made. And he's operating as that now. Eventually, hopefully, yeah, we'll have him as the wide receiver, too. That's perfect for me. But I feel like they found something serious. I mean, this is a Giants team that put up, what, 31 points today or another game with over 400 yards of offense. And remember, just last year with what? What was really different? Evan Neal. And we're really going to think that's making that much of this. Mark Lewinsky over Hernandez. Yeah, those make. Yeah, right. But all these things. They averaged 15.2 points per game last year, dude. 15.2. How is it even possible to go from what they were last year to what they were this year? And yes, it is coaching, but it's also, and it's time to, we've been saying it now for over a month or whatever, but it's the development of this position, which is also partially coaching, but he's taken such a big step, Daniel Jones. Some of those games were Mike Glennon and Jake Fromm. Oh, for the 15.2. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel Jones probably would have done much better than those right, two. Right, like, that right, was just an right. absolute disaster of a situation. Good but point. Sticking with the offense too, Dan. Yep. We've been calling not just us on the Big Blue Banter podcast, but like Giants Twitter people who like Giant the Giants in general. I've been calling for more po- pony twenty one yep. personnel package, and we saw a lot of it, dude. I'm interested to see the percentages. They might might already a lot be of on in this game. A lot of Matt Brito, who was your difference making player. They love to use them as wingback, right? They would use Barkley as a wingback, which means basically if you want to think of them as like an H-back kind of outside of the tackle off the line of scrimmage, how many times did they use that second running back, whether it be Barkley or Brita, in jet motion? The entire game, I was like, they're going to hand that football off to that wingback soon. And they did. And the Vikings sniffed it out. And that was one of the best individual Such efforts. an underrated play. I, I think the Giants punted on that drive. I think they okay. did. I don't think they ended up scoring on the drive, but still, what an individual effort on a third and two by Matt Breda, who is dead to rights. Little plays like that are the reason why Matt Breda needs to be on this freaking football team. Completely agree with you on that. And that was just one of the unsung plays. I mean, look, Kenny Galladay delivering that block, right? That was one of the best blocks I've seen all season by the Giants, but Kenny Galladay delivering that block there sell, tells me one thing. Every single person who criticized him for the lack of effort earlier this year, like when they that ran was dumb. Up, that was dumb. It was legitimately dumb. Effort is not the reason Kenny Galladay isn't playing. He's not playing because the coaching staff honestly doesn't feel like he's one of their best three options at receiver. And that's he's fine. Not. Like that's and he's not, and that's fine. But if somebody makes a game changing block like that after playing all every snap last week and making a, a, a you know a big touchdown in the end zone, that's not someone who I look at like, oh, effort is the reason. And I and I'm gonna knock him for that. That was a narrative that was cultivated because somebody saw one of his practice reps, I think, in like training. Oh, there was a play in like week one or two where they ran zone read and it wasn't even supposed to go to his side. But yeah, it but it was outside. before that. It was before yeah. that because it happened also in preseason. Jones threw an interception against New England. Preseason. And it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, well, it was a three by one set. And he I was, remember the, that now, he was yeah. like the number one receiver. And his route is to delay to allow the two and three to clear out. And yeah. people were like, well, why is he? dogging it off the line of scrimmage. I'm like, that's the freaking route concept. Yeah, though. Like, that's, it's not on Kenny Galladay. It's just, yeah. And I'm happy for him though. Like he's not this season. Like Barkley said in the post game presser, I listened to some of the pressers. Barkley's like, I'm happy for Galladay because this is not, he even said it like everyone's super happy in this locker room, but he's like, this is not the season 
the season's not going the way Kenny Galladay want him to. And that's a fair, honest thing to say. Like, you can't just all be happy about what's going on. If you're Kenny Galladay, you're not thrilled about what's going on. He still feels like he can play in the NFL. But despite all that, he comes out there for his limited playing time and makes such a game-changing play with a block, not even with a catch, what he's, you know, what you're expecting someone to do like that. So I thought that was amazing. I want to talk a little bit about the Giants game plan in this with you, Nick. So we've talked a lot about Jones, his own near flawless game. Let's talk about what the Giants did from a game planning standpoint. One, they didn't say, let's go change the, let's go reinvent the wheel. They understood where the deficiency was in this Vikings defense. And they understood where honestly, at this point, the best, the, the best that their offense has to offer is when they go past first, like I said earlier, and this is per Doug analytics, all 17 of the Giants first down pass calls, all 17 resulted in a new set of downs. All 17. What does that tell you? And then when they got the lead, yeah, they had one of those first down runs. It went for a loss of two. But then when they went right back to the pass and they started calling pass again, I love that they not only came out with such a pass heavy approach, but more importantly to me in this one, Nick, they stayed with it even once they had the lead. Even when they were up by 10 points, they stayed with it. That's so important to me because there were times early this year I felt like, and, and, and more so now we know because one, they didn't trust the O line, two, they didn't love where the passing game was at from continuity standpoint at that point but earlier season they went into some shells with some with some leads against like the bears i'm some of these games i'm thinking about like back in my head even the ones they've won they went into shells they started to really try to grind the clock out they knew this wasn't a game where they could just grind a clock out and try to get out of this thing they had to try to win this game the best way they could and that's through the air and so i was really impressed with the approach on offense and the wherewithal to stick with the pass in this game and the fact that this coaching staff in those high leverage situations, they were going for it on fourth down. Like they went for two fourth right. downs, man. and one of them was on the seven yard line when the Giants could have just kicked a field goal. But instead, they were like, nah, screw that. We're going to go for it. And they did. And instead of going up by three, they end up going up by a touchdown, which proved to be very, very important. Right. And that was, I think, a part of the game plan. Look, if if we're in a situation where we're where we have to be aggressive and we have some momentum. We are going to be aggressive, and that is going that's us sticking to our guns, as we said a little bit earlier in the podcast. But man, we kind of touched on it at the top of the show. This wasn't a Saquon Barkley heavy game script. This was a we're gonna put a lot of the burden. We're a team, it's collective, but we're gonna put a lot of the responsibility on the quarterback. And that's what a quarterback is right. supposed to do, right? Quarterback position. You need to make your reads. If it's not there, use your legs. And as we said, he's pretty freaking flawless a lot, but I think the Majority of this game plan was basically just allow Daniel Jones to do what Daniel Jones has been doing over the last three weeks against, I uh, should say, I guess against Minnesota and then against Indianapolis. And he didn't let you down. He didn't let you down at all. He did the complete opposite, almost perfect game. And I want to talk a little bit about Brian Dable's first game ever as a head coach in the playoffs, at least. And that was this one. He's obviously been there with other teams, the Bills. And the Patriots, I believe, in the past, or was it with Ben? I don't remember exactly. I think he was on the Patriots playoff teams. He must. The Patriots make the playoffs almost every year. So I'm sure he's on some of those coaches' ass. But his first one is an actual head coach. I really felt like he called a basically flawless game. Uh, I just don't know what else I could have he could have done differently that I would have been like, or I don't know what else what he did I didn't that I didn't like, for example. I know some things I liked. You talked about the fourth down call in the red zone. That was a great one off that Richie James four-yard throw. Like I'm a big believer in not kicking field goals in those short distance situations, especially in a game like this. He went for the fourth down from his own 40. I thought, like I said, he stuck with the game plan. It was a pass heavy approach. It was perfect for this game on the flip side of the ball. 
take away Justin Jefferson, see what happens. And obviously there's still a lot of points by the Vikings, but you know, we knew that TJ Hawkinson was going to eat this team up. We kind of like accepted that in the pregame. We were, we were, we were on board with that one. Um, but yeah, man, I just felt like for his first game, I was really impressed with what Dable was able to do. Like just the general thought, Nick, of them being so prepared in the first quarter and no dumb penalties, no like stupid uh, things to halt the offense or just things you would expect from a team that hasn't been in the playoffs before and is not used to it. That one just wasn't there. And then again, the, the ability to stay aggressive and not get tight as a coach when you have a lead. Those are things that I look for. And another thing that we really wanted, and I believe we brought this up on the show. Sorry if you guys are hearing that, the CSPN stupid ads. We wanted the Giants to be more efficient on third down. They were 3-11 and against Minnesota on Christmas Eve. They were 7-13, of 13, over 50%. A lot of that was due to Daniel Jones's legs, but even his arm as well, right? So right. you need to be better on those critical money downs. And I felt like the Giants just executed their game plan and were able to do it really punish this Minnesota Vikings defense. And we talked about it with Sean too, Dan. Look, the Giants shot themselves in the foot so many times in the first matchup. Blocked punt, two turnovers in their end. And here, the Giants, no turnovers. But they also didn't have any sacks and they didn't get any turnovers. So right. it was more of a mano a mano type of matchup. And the Giants were the ones who ended up prevailing. I wouldn't say decisively because it was still a one-score game, but I felt through the majority of the game that the Giants actually had this, and the Giants can't screw this up. And that's why that last drive, when Dexter Lawrence had that stupid penalty that shouldn't should have never been called, when those things start happening, I'm like, dude, we can't let this slip through our fingers. I started getting a little nervous, but the defense actually ended up stiffening up for once in the game, which they also did, I guess, on the previous drive too. Is that they forced a three and out because of the Darnay Holmes play. But the defense is a uh, something I will be a little bit worried about going forward. I think. And we'll take a look into that this week, and we'll see what happens on the injury front. Aziz Ojolari got injured on the trick play by the Vikings on that third and one. I think he got hit in the back of his quad. But according to Dan Duggan, although he was in too much pain, I guess, to even even attempt to go back in, they think it might be a contusion, which would be the good news there, I guess. I don't know. I think it's going to be really hard to, for me to envision him playing on Saturday after if he couldn't even like consider coming back into the game on this today on Sunday. I'm hoping I'm wrong, but it seems not like that great of a chance he'll play this Saturday. Jason Pinnock uh, was also carted off, and I think he was taken to the local hospital with a rib injury. So who knows what's going to happen there? Special teams play he got injured on. But other than that, the Giants came out of this healthy. And I want to talk about a group that I think was the unsung hero of this game. We talked about unsung hero plays. Kenny Galladay's block gave on Thibodeau's recognition on the screen. Cordell Flock getting a hand in on that final drive. There's the Matt Breida play. There's so many unsung plays. But as far as just unsung heroes go, like to me, man, I don't see how it can't be the Giants offensive line in this game, right? I mean, the Vikings got hits on Daniel Jones for sure. But for the most part, the Giants offense was just able to move the ball at will. You said it best. I felt like the Giants were in control of this game. I felt like they were the better team. I felt like they could do anything they want on the offensive side of the ball with the exception of a possession or two here or there. Explosive plays, runs, short passes, intermediate passes, whatever they wanted, the offensive line helped comply and helped make that possible. Evan Neal had a bad snap or two here, but overall thought had one of his better games, and we'll see on the film if that's correct. The interior offensive line was a problem for most of the, for big, large chunks of the season. Didn't really find much issues at all at least in the broadcast with the interior offensive line, Andrew Thomas, an absolute stud as he always has been. But man, I don't know how the unsung hero of this game can't just be the offensive line because none of the, you don't rack up 400 plus yards of offense if your offensive line is a disaster. You just don't. No, you don't. And the Giants offensive line was dialed in. I mean, Daniel Jones ended up getting sacked three times. Like you said, I think Evan Neal had a couple snaps that 
we'd probably want to be cleaned up a little bit. But all in all, the Giants offensive line held up. And I'll say this too, man. We talked about this shit with Sean. Daniel Jones with, with the 17 carries, he only had four in the previous game. But it seems like the Vikings, they they rushed their ends so freaking yeah. wide. Like it seemed like there were such huge gaps for Daniel Jones to step up into. Right. So it was kind of surprising that they didn't exploit that because that was on film as well against the Minnesota Vikings in Christmas Eve. But they only had I think he only had like four rushes for 36 yards. That was a huge part of the game plan that the Giants definitely saw in this game. And they definitely exploited it for 78 yards on the ground. Yep. Great call there as well. And that's something that if you listen to the podcast, you probably heard it already because Sean brought that up. And we'll see what happens with the Eagles. I wonder if they'll make that same mistake or they'll make an adjustment to what they're doing or what they want to do to try to keep. Because you have to account for Jones in these spots. Like at this point, there's enough film out there that, look, he's going to run on these non designed runs, these scram- quote unquote scramble plays where he drops back to pass. If he doesn't like what he sees, and if you give him that, He's going to make like he had plays that just change the game with his legs here. Some of these plays that you would have think like they're blown dead plays if they if he's just sitting in the pocket like a normal Tom Brady or one of these pocket passers and just has to find a solution with his arm. But with his legs, he's able to find other unorthodox solutions, especially like you said, if the ends are going to rush like that. Make them pay. That's the story of everything. Exploit their tendencies, which is something this Giants coaching staff does, especially on offense and make them freaking pay. Yep. And that's exactly what they did. All right, Nick, anything else on this game before we start to turn it a little bit moving forward here to the Eagles game and what we want to see there? No, I'm just excited to get into the All-22. Whenever that posts, man, I'm going to be all over it because it's yes. going to be a great All-22 show on offense and defense. Yeah, especially offense, but we'll, we'll find some fun on defense. We'll see what happens. I do want to see Jared Davis. I felt like I wasn't thrilled with Jared Davis, but we'll see what happens there. I want to see Xavier McKinney specifically. I felt like he was getting a little bit back into his own in this game for sure. And honestly... Like when Cousins threw up that like basically hospital ball to Justin Jefferson, that easily could have been flagged for offensive pass interference on Jefferson. I think he, he impacted McKinney's path toward that interception. Another I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And even Thibodeau was also like bear hugged on that play by Darisaw. So just like one of those two things should have probably been called. But again, we're not we're not here to chastise the refs. They have a tough job to do and goes both ways for sure. But either way, like you said, I'm excited to get into the film as well. For everyone else here, thank you so much for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. This was our reaction show. A lot more content coming this week, heading into the divisional playoff round against the Philadelphia Eagles. We'll have a preview of the Eagles game. We're going to have two film reviews coming up early in the week, one breaking down the offense against the Vikings, then another one breaking down the defense, looking for things to take away, things that we can look forward to moving forward, and uh, you know how we can project the matchup based on the film. We're also going to have a preview of the Eagles game and a few other content pieces like we did last week to kind of keep it locked and loaded, moving fun, heavy into the weekend. We'll probably do another show with the entertainer. I think we promised we'd do that. And if the Giants won and they did win, which is awesome because we had a good time with that. So if you enjoyed that show, I know a lot of people reached out about that. There will be another one coming this week as well. So anyway, it's awesome. I just can't believe where we're at here right now. <laughs> like, ladies and gentlemen, it's just it's insane. Like, I predicted nine wins and you predicted eight. Like, we were close, but man, I just didn't think this team had it in them to turn it around so fast and win a playoff game already. And now, like, I honestly feel like they're going to p- compete with the Eagles, too. I don't think it's going to look like that MetLife game from, I mean, you know, what was that now, a month and a half ago? I mean, the team was so much more injured at that point, and they weren't really throwing the ball. So it's exciting times to be a Giants fan right now, as exciting as it gets. Thank you to everyone tuning into Big Blue Banter Podcast and supporting us. If you are new to the show and you just listened for the first time, please do us a favor and help support the show. Here's the easiest ways to do it. It's all free, and it all should only take a minute or two of your time. The first would be watching. If you're watching this on YouTube currently, hit subscribe. 
on that button right there. Hit the like on this video and then hit that bell button so you can get new videos. If you're listening on Spotify or on your podcast app or anywhere else, Stitcher, make sure you also hit subscribe, set up for auto download. Make sure you download. Even if you have to delete the episode after, please make sure you download. If you haven't already done it, leave a rating and review on Spotify or iTunes, preferably iTunes. And otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.